It's James. The I like to call myself the beach pastor, but that's not what our website says. But I'm the beach pastor here at the River Church, and I did dress in my cult leader outfit today. So if you're wondering, no, this is not a cult, but yes, I am dressed like a cult leader. Um, we love it when a plan comes together, right? Great quote from Hannibal from the A-Team, one of the great American philosophers of the 20th century. I love it when a plan comes together, when everything goes just so, just perfectly, when what you want to do and how you want to do it come together in that beautiful dance of we did it. When I, I want to tell you a story about when I proposed to my beautiful wife, Braylynn. It was 2003, people. Yeah, that's right. A long time ago. I'm not, I'm not invited to the second Sunday hangout with the 30s and 20s people, okay? Yep. I'm an old man now. But I, I was so excited to propose to her. I wanted to propose to her right on the cliffs, right in front of the montage. I mean, they won't even let you in the pool area without like signing a mortgage or something. So just the cliff area right in front of the montage in Laguna Beach, California, beautiful place. And I had it all planned out. My best friend growing up was going to come up from San Diego and stay with me. Bray's best friend growing up was coming from like Virginia and staying out here. And we were we hung out a couple days and then we were going to set the two of them up on a date. Like, hey, we're going to set you guys up on a date. That was my plan. And so I told my buddy, I'll name him Ryan. He knows what he did. Ryan, uh, I set Ryan up with um, my, wife's, my wife's friend. And I had beforehand, this is before like Tom Toms. Y'all know what those are? Or before like... GPS directions. This is way before I telephones. Okay, we're talking about Thomas guides now. We're in the Thomas guide era. All right. If you don't know what that is, you you can go to Second Sunday. If you do know what that is, you probably shouldn't go. <laughs> so we have. I went. I had a little one of those old school digital cameras my church had, and I went and took pictures of every turn that had to be taken to get from literally my house in Redondo Beach to Laguna Beach. Step by step, I made a booklet. I gave him everything he possibly could have needed. I was so excited. Never worked harder for this to be perfect. I wanted to propose to beautiful Braylon right at sunset, right as it went down. A little picnic area. It was going to be awesome. And so my buddy, he gets in his truck with, with my wife's best friend, who happens to be rather good looking. And my friend takes notice. Like, hey, this is kind of cool. And so he gets lost in conversation with her. I'm like, this was supposed to be a made-up first date. You're not really going on a date. So all of a sudden, I'm, I'm almost at the spot, and it's, it's going to be exciting. And um, I'm, oh, Bray, I'll, I'll call him, see how the date's going. And so I call, hey, how's the date going? He's like, yeah, um, we're kind of next to San Onofre right now. And I'm like, you went, you're, you went way far south. Like, you blew it, man. I, I, I'm like, okay, let me. I go, I had to then improvise. That's what you do in these situations, okay? Obstacle appears, you come up with a new plan. So I feigned a stomach bug. I'm like, this is super romantic. I'm like, babe, I, oh, I got to pull over. I'm so sorry. And so, okay, so I'm at like, like a Taco Bell bathroom in Laguna Beach on my phone going, where are you? Turn around. I'm giving him step-by-step directions. And then I get back in the car. I'm like, all right, let's keep going. And I'm like, oh, I got to stop again. And so I did this like four times, right? So this is just setting up the mood, setting everything up perfectly. <laughs> Finally, like I'm despairing at this point, And I'm like renouncing my friendship with this guy. 
uh, before the Lord. And then finally they get there. It's dark out, right? The sun's long gone. And I'm like, Bray, let's just at least go for a walk. We were supposed to go to dinner and she's hungry and I'm hungry with a stomach bug. And so I'm like, let's go. And we get there to the spot, right? This is Laguna Beach. The, the moon is like sitting right on the water. It is the most gorgeous thing in the world. And they had lit all these candles, right? Which were supposed to be lit for sunset, which didn't make much sense anyway. Bad planning. And it was the most gorgeous thing. And we start walking towards it and Bray's like, oh, James, we can't go there. We can't go. That's someone's thing. That's someone's thing. And all of a sudden it clicked. Oh, no. He did this for us. And it was so beautiful. And she said, yes, 18 years of marriage, a bunch of kiddos. Things are going good. Love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> so, so Jesus resurrects and appears to his disciples. And the story of what we call the Acts of the Apostles that tells us about this encounter. And right out of the gate, the story of Acts gives us this plan, like this big old beautiful plan. And it says this. I'm just going to read it to you real quick. This is in Acts, uh, what we call chapter 1, and I'll start from verse 6. So all the disciples gather around Jesus, and they ask him something. They have a plan. They have an idea. They have an agenda. They say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So they see a resurrected Messiah and they say, let's ask a geopolitical question that is deep of deep interest to us all. Can we now throw off foreign governments and foreign uh, tribute and live our own free life as Israel? Can you make that happen? Jesus. And Jesus says, that's cute plan. He says, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father is sent by his own authority, but you... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All right, so, so they have their plan and Jesus says, that's cute. I have a plan for you. I actually have a bigger vision, a different vision. And then he gives them absolutely zero implementation plan. Like, here's the vision. Here's my vision. Not your vision, my vision. And here is the implementation plan. Folks, today, I've titled this sermon, and it's my absolute favorite title I've ever given to any sermon in the rest of my life. I want to encourage all of you to go out and get a tattoo of this sermon title right after the service. (laughs) Heading for God knows where to do God knows what. Heading for God knows where to do God knows what. How many of you are heading for God knows where to do God knows what? We're the River Church of the South Bay. We're heading for God knows where to do God knows what. That's what I'm going to say maybe for now on. I don't know. I love this idea. Like if there's one piece that the scriptures are going to tell us about again and again, that the story that they invite us into is going to shake up in us, it's this. Disruption unpredictable events and outcomes, twists and turns, ways you never would have thought of, and thwarted plans of ours are almost always where God does his best work in our lives. Are you right now? I'm serious. I don't care if you came for your first time, you think this was like swim the avenues and you're waiting for me to start the the, the race, or you came to a different place, or you come here all the time. I'm serious, and I mean this. Where is disruption in your life right now? 
Where is the plan not coming together? Where are things not fitting together? Where is that remainder where you took the engine out, you rebuilt it, and you have like a bag full of screws and some weird gaskets, and you're like, these should be here somewhere. I don't know where they go. Where is that happening in your life right now? Where is disappointment? Where is frustration? Where is confusion? How about this one? Where are there the wrong feelings? I've been following Jesus for 10 years. I should be feeling these ecstatic moments of sublime, numinous activity with the Lord. I should be floating a foot above the, the sand and just experiencing Where are the disappointing feelings? Where are the surprises? Where are the relationships that have drifted apart and you wondered, why is that happening? Where are the new relationships that have come in your life? I'm asking you, church, I'm asking myself, where is disruption? Where is the job coming to a close that you thought would be your retirement plan? Where is the college that you had wanted to apply to that you're realizing it's not going to happen? Where is disruption? We are heading for God knows where to do God knows what, people. You are heading for God knows where to do God knows what. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That's the plan that was given. And all I want to do is hopscotch through how this actually comes together, how it actually goes down. The Jerusalem church, we've been following for two chapters already, and we kind of jumped into chapter four. In Jerusalem, the navel of the world, according to um, uh, Second Temple Jewish thought, in that spot, these Christians are living and thriving and doing their thing. And the question is lingering, where, how are we going to make it out to Samaria, out to the ends of the earth? And all of a sudden, Acts chapter 7, verse 57, a big problem hits the church. A local persecution breaks out. They're not just disliked by the local leaders. The local leaders would love to end what is happening, deeply end it. And it's focused on this dude named Stephen. Many of you may have heard about this guy. If you read Acts 7, 6, 7, and 8. And Stephen's in a debate, and here's how it ends, with mob violence. Acts 7, 57 to Acts 8, 1a. I'm going to read to you. It says, at this they covered their ears. These are the opponents of Stephen. They yelled at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city. They began to stone him. This is a pretty traditional way to um, mob violence to kill an opponent. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Remember that name, Saul. So they basically are saying, we sign our approval on on killing this person. They were stoning him. Stephen prayed out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell on his knees. He cried out, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. So if you've been following with us or you've been reading Acts, you recognize this little church is like this itty-bitty little cute thing. It's this tiny, just, just so cute, barely making eye contact. It's brand new, right? Or it's like a little candle, a little flickering candle. 
It's just there. You can barely see it. It's just getting going. And the thought of a focused persecution that involves threats of violence, that involves displacement, that involves culturally being considered a, a disease, that would just snuff out this little flame. I mean, that is the worst idea if you're trying to implement this grand vision of Jesus to the nations, of God bringing all people back into restoration with him, into relationship with him. This is the worst possible thing that could happen. And then check out what happens. Acts chapter 8. I want to I show this to you and show you one quick snippet. Acts chapter 8. On that day, the great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Interesting. All except the apostles. So the Greek-speaking Jewish believers are pushed out of Jerusalem. They're forced out, not because they wanted to. There was no conference or think tank where the, the early Christians get together and say, all right, we have this mission that Jesus gave us, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. And these, by the way, are not just geographic areas. These are also ethno-geographic areas. These are crossing the railroad tracks, so to speak. These are moving into areas where folks of different ethnic and religious backgrounds who have never sat at a table and eaten together before, let alone worshipped together. This is the, the ambitious plan that they've been given. So how are we going to do that? They don't plan it out. They don't have a strategic meeting about it. There's no finance wing to this mission that has been um, planned and audited and thought through. What happens? A persecution hits the local church and forces them out. And where do they go? They go to the regions of Judea and Samaria. Notice, this is not an apostle-initiated strategic plan. This is the result of ostensibly terrible circumstances. This is the worst circumstances. When we shut down because of the disease of which we will not mention, when we, when we had to go online, all that craziness, I remember feeling so discouraged. I was so mad. I was so bummed out. I was so, it was just bad. I'm like, dang it. I want to meet. I want to be together. I want to, just why is this happening right now? It was so discouraging. Well, that was nothing compared to this. This is way worse. Let me tell you, it's way worse. When people are dying and being killed because they're meeting together, it's way worse. And yet what happens? So then check this out. Starting in verse 26, I just want to look at one more person. Philip, this guy named Philip, who he's one of these important leaders in the Jerusalem church, he's a Greek-speaking Jewish Christian. He, he is pushed out because of the persecution. He's got to get out of town or die. And he gets out of town. And what's he do? Immediately he's in Samaria. And he's doing this incredible sharing about Jesus, bringing the good news of Jesus. Folks are saying yes, and their lives are being transformed in ways they never would have guessed. By a dude who was originally chosen to help out with the bread distribution ministry in Jerusalem. And instead, now he's like doing this incredible ministry in Samaria. And then this episode, starting in verse 26 of Acts chapter 8. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south on the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. I just want you to see this. Just picture this moment. He started out on his way. He met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important 
official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandikai, which is a title for queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he's sitting on his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, or the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet. So this is an interesting, this guy's a God-fearer. He loves the God of, of Israel. He wants to worship this God, who's the same God of Jesus, by the way. And Philip is just told, he's given one directive, go on the road and wait. Just go there. And all of a sudden, this dude's cruising, and he's reading Isaiah's scroll. And then the Spirit of the Lord tells Philip, go to that chariot, stand near it. Philip ran to the chariot, hearing the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you know what you're reading? Philip asked him. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. And he invited Philip to come sit with him. And this was the passage of scripture that this uh, eunuch was reading. Quote, he was led like sheep before the slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. His humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. So he's reading out of what we call Isaiah 53, which is one of the most incredible sort of prophecies that we eventually see in Jesus. It's, it's pointing to Jesus. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? I mean, can you imagine a better lob pitch of like, here you go. Knock this one out of the park. How did Philip plan this? What books did he read to get in there? I'm not bashing planning. I'm not bashing reading. And I'm not bashing strategic thinking. I'll, I'll explain that in a second. I just want you to see this moment. What got him? How do you get connected to such a high-powered, important figure in the, what's now modern-day Ethiopia in the Nubian government? How do you get there? What contacts and emails do you have to send to get that close? Here's what you do. You, you just listen when the Spirit of God says, hey, go do this real quick. Go there. Why? Shut up and go there. So I shouldn't say shut up. Sorry, there's kids here. Not a good Be quiet and go there. And stand and wait. And then all of a sudden, he realized why I'm there. And he, what does he do? He explains Jesus and he baptizes this Ethiopian. And then what's the next thing that happens? It's pretty awesome. After this little moment, it says, and Philip uh, then uh, is taken away, and then he appears uh, in Azotos and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So this like little moment, I just wanted to appreciate with you this question, who's really in charge around here? Like who's really in charge of this church? I'm serious. Who's in charge? Who runs this place? Like... <laughs> If we're looking at our ancient ancestors in the faith, if we're looking at this inspired perspective of the church, what we're hearing is we are, the whole church is heading for God knows where to do God knows what. And our plans are nice and cute and wonderful. And we can diligently make them and get excited about them and protect them and sort of baptize them and staple Bible verses to them. And if we're holding on too tightly and we're not sensitive and listening and bobbing and weaving and ready to go, God knows where to do, God knows what, we might just be missing the most exciting action and God's most dramatic and exciting work. I'm talking as a community and I'm talking as individuals. 
Let me just share with you how much weirder it gets. Remember that guy, Saul, who was overseeing the mob violent death of Stephen and was approving of it, and people saw him as the leader of the persecution? Guess who Jesus chooses, the Holy Spirit of the living God chooses to be the key instrument in bringing good news to non-Jewish communities across the Mediterranean? Guess who it was? It was exactly that person. If you were going to go through a candidate's list, just create a short list of sharp tools to be vessels of the kingdom of God and the ancient Mediterranean world, this would be the last person you'd possibly choose. Absolutely terrible judgment you'd be ex exercising if you chose this person. And the Holy Spirit's like, um, that one. No, 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 no. you must have made a mistake, Holy Spirit. Literally, when... When Saul, the story will go, someone here will preach on it, I'm sure. When the story will go, when Saul is grabbed by the Lord, essentially, he's, he's temporarily struck blind, and he goes up to Antioch. There's a dude named Ananias there, and he's like, hey, Lord, him? No, 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 you got the wrong guy. I know that guy. It's not him. And, and the Spirit's like, no, it's him, and you just wait and see. Right? There's this other great moment. I just love this one. It's one of my favorites. The last verse I'm going to read to you. It's one of my favorite verses in Acts. It's so cool. This is Acts 16. This is now Paul is on this mission, and they're trying to strategically reach all of the ancient Mediterranean world for Jesus. And it says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region. This is Acts 16, starting in verse 6. They traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word of God in the Roman province of Asia, which is like Western Turkey today. So having been kept by the Holy Spirit, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, which is kind of under the black, uh, just south of the Black Sea, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to do it. I love that so much. I want to ask you a question individually right now, and maybe as a church we could ask ourselves this, but individually, is there something you've been trying to do? Maybe you've been trying to do it for Jesus. You've been just, I've been trying to do this for Jesus. I've been working so hard. I've been putting money and time and prayer. I've been reading books. I've been watching vlogs. I've been listening to podcasts. I've been worshiping music in the car. And I've been trying to get this thing done. And darn it, I've gotten nowhere. The enemy's fighting me. It must be the enemy, that cosmic devil trying to take me down. It's the enemy. It's the enemy. Well, maybe, maybe, or if this is telling us anything, could it be that God's like, nope, 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 not doing that. That's cute. Not doing that. I'm not in that. I'm not going to let you do that. You think you want to, but believe me, you don't. Like a kid wanting to eat all their Halloween candy all on Halloween night. You think you want it. You don't want it. It's going to end poorly. Like, I love that though. The Spirit's like, no, you're not going there. And then what happens? The very next passage Paul has a vision at night of a Macedonian man who's calling out for help. And he wakes up and goes, hey, we're going to Macedonia, everyone. And they go to Macedonia and have this amazing ministry experience. Going God knows where to do God knows what. It's a beautiful thing. And this is one of those tipping points, I think, like fulcrums of faith. This is where faith really clicks in, in the individual life and in the corporate life. It is where you stand with a posture, with an open hand, with your plans, with an open hand, with all the, your passions, your vision. You don't, you don't be lazy. This isn't an excuse to be lazy. Well, I'll wait till God wakes me up and tells me to do something. 
Well, get your butt out of bed and go do something. Move around. Love people. We know what we're called to do in the immediate term. But what I'm talking to, and I mean it, for those of you that are in, like, I don't jobs, and you're wondering, why am I in this job? Open that hand up and go, Lord, why am I here? Open your eyes and look around. You might be surprised to notice that there is something exciting God has put you there for. Or maybe a job you love and you're, no, you're feeling called out of it. Like, why would I ever want to leave this right now? This is all I've ever wanted. And God, you're opening this door and you're nudging me out. Why? All right. Go next to the chariot. Stand and wait. Go on that road. Wait for me to move you next. Some of you are dying to be in a relationship. You're single and you're like, I want to be in a relationship so badly. And I just can't seem to get there. You've tried everything and every site and every person has set you up with everything. And you're like, why is this not happening? The enemy's getting at me. What if God goes, no, I know when, where, and who. And I even know if. And I've got you. This is where the tipping point of faith happens. They work so hard to get into a particular college, do all the tests, all the prep, and the door closes for reasons you don't understand. What? Why? I don't get it. The devil. The devil did it. What if the Holy Spirit of the living God is actually saying, no, I have something else. Something else is happening here. I hate when plans fall apart. I hate when my week doesn't have a flow. Like I'm really big on protocols, morning protocols, up early, get in the water early, off to school, coffee's hot, class is going well, traffic's smooth, lectures go good, I get time for my research, time for my writing, email's done, home with the kids, things are good, make out with my wife, all good things. I love it when plans are all put together. And it's like, Sometimes, like this month has been one of those one foot off the merry-go-round the whole month. Like we've had just like sicknesses, not that one, but sicknesses coming through the house and we've had just disruptions and challenges. And I just feel like I can't get traction. Lord, why not? And yesterday I was so frustrated. Like I was so frustrated because I just couldn't get traction on something. And, and it's like, oh yeah, I forgot. I'm preaching literally on this point, which is like open up your eyes and look around. Let me tell you something else about this church about this church specifically, I don't know why we've never really grown huge. There's this little secret mega church pastor in my heart. It's like, I want to live. I want to grow. I want a big church. I want people to go, whoa, you're, you're a pastor at that church? Why has it never grown? Why? It's so cool. The people are so legit. We're not perfect. We are wonky in so many ways. Mostly the cult-like outfit I wear from time to time and the rat tail. But you didn't see that one. Some of you didn't see that at home. Um, why are we growing bigger? Why are we influencing in more areas in this place and that place? And like, it's so funny because you come back to this and it's like, oh yeah, that's right. If I'm gauging this church's health on what I would like it to look like, then I can automatically count out. We failed. Because... Because it's my plan, doing what I know is best, going where I think and we know as a team, and Taylor and Bill and Todd and Denise and the team, what we think is best. Instead, here, what if like our vision statement was literally, we're going God knows where to do God knows what. That's what we are. I love that. I'm, that's our new mission statement, 2023. It's been said officially. No, we won't. 
But it's our unofficial one, going God knows where to do God knows what. It's a beautiful thing. And in your marriage, some of you are in spots where you have hit like some hard things. Or there are some, some of you have some stuff you gotta, you gotta get real with, with your spouse. You gotta get some therapy, get real with them, get, go with a safe spot. You gotta share some things that are going on in your life and you're scared to death. Why? If I share this with my spouse or with my loved one, or with my kids or with someone else, it's gonna ruin everything. But I keep feeling the Lord say, not one more day can go by. You gotta share this. You gotta come out with this. You gotta come into the light with this particular issue that you're, you're struggling with or this thing that's happened or this thing that's been done. And you go, no, I can't see a future if I do that. I'm so terrified of the future if I do that. What if it demolishes things? Guess what? God might very well be doing demolition in your life. He might be tearing down some of the worst foundations you have ever built. And in that place, he is going to put something grand and beautiful. I could speak that in my own life and marriage. I could speak to that in marriages and folks I've seen for years. And so going God knows where to do God knows what. Um, where is disruption in your life right now? I want to ask you one more time. Think about that. Where is it happening? And what if, and this is where faith comes in, what if like our ancient ancestors in the faith, when that disruption hits, something's going on over here. I'm like, what's happening? Okay. When that disruption hits, <laughs> what if we, we lean into it with faith? And this does make you weird, and it makes you weirdly optimistic. And there will be cynics and people that are going to say to you, oh, come on. Oh, God, grow up. Reality's reality. And we are beckoned again and again to a story that says, oh, on contraire. Absolutely not. God is all in the disruption. He's in the normal weird things. He's in the pieces that don't fit together. He's in the parts of your life that you want to hide. And he says, no, let's bring this out in the light and let's transform it. He's picking people for dodgeball teams that are the last ones we would ever pick. And he goes, no, this is my best MVP. He leverages the stuff that brings us down and wants to destroy us. He leverages it to launch us into something brilliant and beautiful. He takes the momentum of our bad and stupid decisions and he gently but persistently swings it around to his direction when we open our hands and say, here we are, God. And so this morning, um, I don't know about you. I do know about me. I really want to make a like a faith posture that says, Lord, I want to go God knows where to do God knows what. I want that to actually be my life, my whole life. I want my funeral when I'm buried at sea. I want to be buried at sea just past the buoy, though, so my body comes back up for a little bit, and then they have to roll me back out. All right. <laughs> I think it would be interesting. It gives people something to talk about. Okay, maybe not. That's not let's get that out of our minds. But what I, what, at, my, at my memorial, like, may it be many, many decades from now, but whenever it is, I really hope like this guy lived for like God knows what, and he went God knows where. And it was so interesting to watch. And it was exciting, and it was real, and it was faith. Lord, we stand here as a community that is so excited, Father God, to open up our hands and say, Lord, take us exactly where you want us, God. 
Let us not hold on to our plans or our idea of what this church should look like or idea of what our lives should look like or our culture or whatever. Let us open our eyes and our hearts to look around and see what you're up to and then go to that. Make a beeline to what you're doing in this world. We thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand together as we end our time with worship, saying, God, we want to build our life upon you. We want to be aware of what you're doing. Go where you want to go and do what you want to do, Lord. Worthy of every song. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. And holy, there is no one like you. None beside you Open up my eyes in wonder And show me who you are And fill me with your heart And lead me in your love To those around me Holy, there is no one like you There is none beside you Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. And I will build my life upon your love. It is a And I will put my trust in you alone And I will not be shaken And I will build my life upon your love It is a firm foundation And I will in you alone 
Oh my goodness, we've had kind of a magical moment just now with this light. The light is just so beautiful. And uh, James, that message, oh man, it really spoke deeply to my heart. And uh, the, the wonderful, surprising disruption of dolphins leaping out of the water 10 feet from shore. And uh, I'm so grateful that got captured on film, Ron. And uh, like, you know, the other funny thing is, as James talked about disruption, we're going to move right now into communion and baptism, which are two just amazing symbols of new life in Jesus and remembering what he has done for us. He is the hero of the story, and he loves to disrupt our lives. And we discovered that we actually don't have enough communion. So if anyone has enough faith to pray and put your hands on the communion and multiply the loaves and fishes, then there'll be enough for everyone. But if not, God bless you anyway. So there's, there's communion. It represents Jesus' body and blood, very tangible, given for us. And he said, eat it. Take me into your life. And then please, as you get communion or not, please, let's join Susan and Taylor. Go to the water's edge because Susan is going to get baptized with the dolphins today. So God bless you. This is how we end the service. Communion is available, but please let's all go if you can and support Susan and Taylor as they get in the water.